boom, you're dead. Or at least this hilarious story that I'm going to share with you guys. An elementary school principal was placed on leave after she held an unauthorized school shooter drill where she pretended to shoot students with her fingers and said, boom, you're dead. Absolutely hilarious. We're going to cover that. But first, I have been so encouraged to see that over a million of you have watched my video regarding Vladimir Putin and Tucker Carlson's sit-down interview, which lets me know that there is a hunger for history. So we are going to talk about Ukraine. All that and more today coming up on Candace Owens. I believe that right now there is legitimately a thirst for history. We discussed this at the end of last week, and I was very encouraged, as I said at the top, to see that over a million of you watched my breakdown of what was going on in the Ukraine region. And I think that's why so many of us wanted to hear Vladimir Putin speak, because we recognize now that our media is a propagandist arm of the state, and we don't actually know what's happening all over the world. And the reason for that is intentional. I've recognized that history as taught to us in our our classrooms, especially since the majority of people obviously attend public school, is really just a story of good versus evil, which of course is always going to be wrong. I've recognized this even. It's the reason that people are so emotional when you talk about history. It's because we've accepted, we learned in school, these were the bad guys, these were the good guys, and there is absolutely no nuance. The black community suffers from this in one way when we talk about slavery in America, right? Well, the South was bad and the North was good and there's no in-between. White people are bad, black people therefore are good and there's no in-between. It makes us angry and it makes us emotional and we're not actually willing to examine history and examine slavery because, especially if you're a white person, you'll just get screamed at if you offer another fact or any sort of nuance about other things that were taking place at that time. And of course, I would also say it is the same when we learn about every single world war, the good guys and the bad guys. We were the good guys. We conquered the Nazis. The Nazis were bad. Of course, we agree with that. We totally agree that what happened, of course, in the Holocaust is one of the most evil things that's ever happened in human history. But there is other things that have happened in human history that are just as evil and maybe if not more evil which brings me to Russia, Russian history once again. Why aren't we taught with the same vigor and the same anger and the same surprise and shock about the Bolshevik Revolution? What do you know about the Bolshevik Revolution? And don't worry, I'm going to explain to you why it brings me to modern-day Ukraine, obviously. Well, we're talking about a family that got overthrown, obviously, the last Romanov family, an empire that got overthrown because suddenly people, the people's will, caught the itch and began, with their Marxist philosophy, executing members of this family. Yeah, an entire family was executed, they were overthrown, and this ushered in what eventually became communist rule in Russia. And why am I talking about it today? Because what happened throughout that time period amounted to what I would refer to as a Christian holocaust. Yes, I am telling you that anywhere between estimates 12 and 20 million Christians were executed in camps. Did you know that the entire concept of a concentration camp came from this period of time. Yeah, you probably didn't know that because we don't learn about it as much in our school system. So I'm going to give you some numbers that you should know. 
During this time period, 130,000 Russian Orthodox priests were arrested. I'm talking between 1917 and 1935 alone. And really, the Bolshevik Revolution predates that. 8,000 bishops and priests is the approximation of how many of them were murdered. And when Stalin got into power, he accelerated that program because he wanted to make sure that he had the ultimate power. And he killed 50,000, approximately 50,000 clergymen, at least that's according to Time magazine. So again, in total, anywhere between 12 and 20 million Christians were killed alone. And if you want to move further, the estimates of everyone that was killed throughout that time period is as low as 28.3, according to some estimates, or as high as 126.9 million people. That is just under the Communist Party alone, and that is according to a professor at Yale University. Which brings me to ask the question as to whether or not you guys have heard of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I have quoted him on this floor, on this show before because he talks about good and he talks about evil and he talks about how sometimes people that are good become evil and sometimes people that are evil become good. And he's an example of that. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Christian who turned into a Marxist. He abandoned his faith. That is one hard tenet of Marxism. You have to abandon faith to serve the state. And he served the state as a Marxist in the Red Army under Joseph Stalin. Again, a person that we learn about in textbooks, but We don't learn about him as somebody who was as evil as Adolf Hitler, and he was at least as evil as Adolf Hitler, and I would argue he was worse. But what happened to Alexander Solzhenitsyn was that he criticized Stalin in a letter, and of course, because this was a time when you could not criticize someone like him, he ended up getting arrested, and he was forced into one of these camps known as gulags. He wrote an entire book. He wrote an entire series. He then, when he was released from prison, dedicated the rest of his life to asking a very important question. Why have the people that committed these sins never had to account for them? I'm going to now read from one of his many books documenting this exceptional time in human history entitled The Gulag Archipelago, and you should definitively read it. He writes... 86,000 Nazi criminals had been convicted in West Germany by 1966. And still, we choke with anger here. We do not hesitate to devote to the subject page after newspaper page and hour after hour of radio time. We even stay after work to attend protest meetings and vote. Too few. 86,000 are too few. And 20 years is too little. It must go on and on. He then says, Meanwhile, if we translate 86,000 West Germans into our own terms on the basis of comparative population figures, it would become one quarter of a million. But in a quarter century, we have not tracked down anyone. We have not brought anyone to trial. It is their wounds that we are afraid to reopen. Here is a riddle not for us contemporaries to figure out. Why is Germany allowed to punish its evildoers and Russia is not? What kind of a disastrous path lies ahead of us if we do not have the chance to purge ourselves of that putrefaction rotting inside our body? What then can Russia teach the world? It's astonishing to think about that, that this many people were murdered. And I'm I'm talking about murdered in, in these camps. I mean, as he spells out throughout this book, people that were put into barges and just drowned to death in mass, in mass, 
it, it's sick to think about that, and yet we don't learn about it, and none of these people have been prosecuted for their crimes. And I was trying to consider why that may be, and I think it's because it conflicts with the Western, the Western narrative of good versus evil. Even going deep into Joseph Stalin should make us quite uncomfortable. It's one of the things Alexander Solch, Solzhenitsyn writes about. He says, you know, you had this guy who the West was locking arms with at the end of the war. Great, we ended it. He's now the good guy because he helped us defeat the Nazis. But he wasn't a good guy. He was a horrific monster who was doing just as much and I would say more evil than what the Nazis were doing. At least it, at least equal amounts of evil, you, you would have to say, once you're looking at Joseph Stalin. And so maybe that's why, because then we'd have to examine ourselves, examine, to examine what our principles are as a nation. And I don't think people are willing to do that. They want people that are in the nation to just believe we were always the good guys. And that's kind of the history that every nation tries to tell its people in order to rule over them. So I want to also point out that in the same way that not all black people are bad or all black people are good or all white people are good and all white people are bad, this also pertains to one of the reasons that I think we maybe aren't exploring that history as much because it makes us uncomfortable and, and it brings forth a lot of questions. Here is a photo that he shared in that book that I just read from you, uh, just read from. And he highlights that these six individuals that I am showing you were the most murderous among those that were in charge of those camps, those concentration camps. And these are just some of the names of those individuals. Aaron Soltz, Naftali Frankel, Yakal Rappaport, Matt V. Berman, Lazar Kogan, who I want to talk about, and Genrik Yagoda. Um, and then also Lazar Kaganowicz. Now, something that is true is that those individuals that he is listing, of those individuals, the majority of them were Jews. Now, I want to be clear, as I said, the way that he abandoned his faith to serve the Marxist and the Leninist cause, yeah, well, guess what? They probably abandoned their faith too. I would say absolutely when you get around to killing people. And when you look at Lazar Kaganowicz, that last guy that I brought up, he killed 20 million people alone. And he didn't do it because he was Jewish, as I said. He did it because he was a monster, an absolute faithless, I would argue, monster. His race doesn't matter, right? Here's a little bit more about him. So yes, as I've already mentioned, he was a Ukrainian Jew. And from 1925 to 1928, Kaganovic was the first secretary of the Communist Party of the Ukrainian SSR. He was later appointed as chairman of the Great Terror you may have heard about this, but you probably glossed over this in history. It was the Great Purge uh, throughout that period between 700,000 to 1.2 million people were executed. Well, guess what happened to him thereafter? Just what Solzhenitsyn writes. Nothing. <laughs> he was allowed to live out the rest of his life. In fact, he died peacefully in 1991. And they say that during the last years of his life, he played dominoes with fellow pensioners and criticized the media for attacking Lenin. That's another way of saying he got away with it. So why is this significant? Because people that committed mass atrocities, people that were in charge of concentration camps, people that were funding this effort to mass murder individuals, simply got away with it. They were allowed to live out their lives. Many of them, by the way, went to America lived in America and supported that regime financially. One such person, by the way, is Armand Hammer. 
Are you familiar with the actor Army Hammer? Yeah, do you know who his great, 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 however many greats grandfather was? A man named Armand Hammer. That's actually Army's full name, Armand Hammer. And do you want to know where Armand Hammer comes from? Let me show you a picture of where Armand Hammer comes from. Yes, it comes from the socialist party symbol. And I'm not going to tell you everything that I learned about this family because we don't have time, but suffice it to say that Julius Hammer, Armin's father, and Armin Hammer earned their entire wealth by funding Lenin and Stalin. They would come over, they would bring diamonds, they would money launder through the United States and send money back to Russia. They became extraordinarily wealthy doing this by taking what I assume has to be stuff that was plundered from the people that was murdered and selling it and establishing, you know, art trades and an art museum. The story is incredible. The New York Times actually covered it in an article, which we will link for you here. By the way, everything that I'm saying to you, I will link for you sources so that you do your own due diligence, called The Riddle of Armand Hammer. In that article, in the first couple of sentences, they, they refer to him as Lenin and Stalin's favorite capitalist. There is no question, in my view, that... Armand Hammer, Julius Hammer, and that family wealth is wealth that was earned executing evil overseas to visit Russia throughout this time and to instead try to figure out how you were going to get money to these people that were mass murdering individuals makes you an evil individual in my book. So yeah, this is a guy who made a fortune throughout this time named after the Armand Hammer and was faithful to Russia until the day he died, who now contributes money to Holocaust museums. That's confusing. You supported a Christian Holocaust, and and now you are funding things in, in memoriam of another horrific circumstance that happened. Again, we are seeing that battle of good and evil because people are comprised of both. Now, why am I telling you this? Because I'm interested in that particular area, what has gone on in Ukraine, what has happened, obviously, uh, from the Russian Empire to the time of now. And I found it really strange how people were trying to convince us, by people I mean the media, was trying to convince us that we should not cover the corruption of Zelensky, right? The Who that person is. Who is Zelensky? Why are we sending billions of dollars to Zelensky? Why are we funding this war? We know nothing about it. And when we critiqued him and we talked about how he was in bed with the oligarchs, when we critiqued him and we started asking questions, the media rushed and they tried to use anti-Semitism as a screen. They said, no, 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 no. You cannot talk anything about Zelensky that makes you an anti-Semite. Crazy. Very bizarre. And I think that now people are starting to notice that what's happening in Ukraine actually appears to be an act of evil. I'll show you as just one example. This was tweeted from Elon Musk last night. There has been no change in the Russia-Ukraine border for a year. Just lots of dead kids. What kind of psycho wants that to continue? Yes, there does appear to be something psychotic about what Zelensky is doing. Uh, coming in right behind him, Cernovich, who was a friend of mine, tweeted a lot of things. Here are some of his tweets. The Zelensky regime tortured and killed an American. Some say he was just a journalist. I don't necessarily agree. He was more of an agitator and a big mouth, but he was murdered for freedom of speech. This matters more to me than 100 looting criminal oligarchs getting killed by Putin. He went on to say Zelensky suspended the next election in his home country. 
as the occupying regime in the U.S. conspires to deny 75 million Americans the right to vote for their preferred candidate. And lastly, he said 200,000 dead Ukrainian men, its finest men, by the way, this was back in 2023, he tweeted this, a peace deal which Zelensky wanted, but this demonic regime denied him, would have saved almost all of those lives and saved hundreds of billions of taxpayer dollars. The country does not belong to us. It's an occupied country. Now I'm going to show you some footage of what Zelensky is doing. Remember, the media is telling you this is a moral crusade. We're fighting for democracy. Well, first and foremost, let me tell you that everything Sarnovich is saying there is right. Not only that, but Zelensky has locked down. They raided churches under the guise of saying that these churches were conspiring with Russia. They didn't prove that they were conspiring with Russia. They just said that they were conspiring with Russia. So they not only locked and locked down and raided and took over, transferred control of churches to the state. Does that sound like democracy to you? Transferred control of Protestant and Russian Orthodox churches to the state after raiding them. But yes, he also suspended elections until further notice. He's just running the ball and assuming all power for himself. Again, does that sound to you like the democracy that the media is trying to convince you that it is? Well, let me show you this video that is also circulating because now they've run out of men and they are now conscripting women to fight, Ukrainian women to fight on the front lines and older men against their will. Here is a video of a van that is ambushing Ukrainian men and forcing them, trying to force them to the front lines. Take a look. Did that look democratic to you? Here's another video. And I'm going to show you a most disturbing video that is making its rounds on social media and it is of a person that is fighting, appears to be fighting uh, somewhere near the front line, somewhere on the front lines, obviously. And you will notice that he appears to have Down syndrome. Take a look. Okay, 
So as I said, that is an individual that appears to have Down syndrome, and you can see that other people are making fun of him in the military. They're pushing him. They're telling him to die already. They're referring to him as a whore. Uh, it's very sad. It is very sad. And this is what our money, when you and I go to work, is being used to fund overseas. So the question is, what is actually going on in Ukraine? Because based on everything that I am seeing, this is following almost precisely what the Bolsheviks did. It almost looks like to me like we are being fooled and that Zelensky is fooling the public into believing that this is some sort of battle that they're having with Russia, when in fact what's really happening seems to be some sort of an ethnic cleansing. I don't even think Ukrainians have considered this plausibility, even those that support this effort. They've convinced you that Vladimir Putin wants to take over. Is that true? Ask yourselves whether or not you think that's true or whether or not you think it's weird that in a country that had four, about, about 47 million citizens, at least in 2021, you are now losing all of your fighting age men, okay? They, are, they have been systematically killed or they've fled. I also want to say that there is an approximation that anywhere between 6 to 10 million Ukrainians just willingly left. And of course, if they spend multiple years, four or five years overseas in Europe or in America living there, what are the chances that they're ever going to return? So you've just completely emptied out entire regions of Ukraine, again, under the guise of a war. These are very important questions to ask and to consider. Who is Vladimir Zelensky? What does he actually believe? What are his ideas? Definitely is not someone that we should be defending, least of all in America. We believe in free speech. We don't believe in killing journalists, obviously. We absolutely do not accept with our Second Amendment that people would be shutting down churches, that they would be conscripted and pulled into vans and forced to fight against their will, forced to die against their will. That is what is happening in Ukraine. So I want to draw attention to it, like Elon Musk has and like Tucker Carlson has and like everybody on the internet is now pressing a finger and saying that there is something very odd happening in Ukraine. And I am convinced that it is an act of evil. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Social media companies get to decide what content is suitable for the users on their platforms and censor content that they don't want on there. You should get to decide what you want to read or watch, not them. Well, here's one thing you can control, their access to your data. And for that, I use ExpressVPN. The problem with big tech companies is that they not only censor what you read, but also track what you do online, what you search for, the videos you watch, and everything that you click on. They use this data to serve you targeted ads and match your activity to your offline identity using your device's unique IP address. When I use ExpressVPN, these companies can't see my IP address at all. My identity becomes masked and anonymized by their secure VPN server. Plus, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers. ExpressVPN's software takes just one minute to set up on your computer or your phone. Then, with the tap of one button, you become protected. It's time to take back your privacy. If you visit my special link at expressvpn.com slash Candice, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Who doesn't like to save money? That's expressvpn.com slash Candice to protect your data today. Okay, now it's time for some topics du jour. (music) 
You know, we talk a lot about the education system and how it has failed Americans. And obviously that was the point of my entire monologue as we know so little. But I do also want to shine a spotlight on the teachers that do amazing work. And I think today's battle in the classroom has a lot to do with psychology, uh, forgetting about world history, which I think we are failing. But definitively, we are recognizing that there is this sort of psychological battle for our students. And there's so much woke awareness in the classrooms trying to recognize things that I would argue at least I learned when I was in school, were mental illnesses, but now those things have been updated, so I'm not allowed to say that anymore. But there is this one teacher that I want to show you in case you haven't seen him. He is going viral. He is a teacher from Massachusetts, and his name is Warren Smith. And he had a student who was talking to him about J.K. Rowling. Now, J.K. Rowling used to be a woke warrior. I think she has since changed her mind, even if she won't admit it. She was such a voice against Trump people, and we were evil and racist and backwards. And then she got eaten, of course, by the woke mob because eventually they get hungry, you know, and they're going to eat you too. And she got eaten because she said, I am a woman. Really, that's kind of the, the short and the thick of it. J.K. Rowling was like, I, a person can't wear a dress and be a woman. I am a woman and it matters to me. And then everybody attacked her, including the people that she made relevant, the people that she cast in or, or the people that were cast by Warner Brothers in Harry Potter. So yes, this is a thing in the classrooms, obviously, because you have a lot of students who are convinced of the LGBTQIA agenda. And they now know, they know, quote unquote, that J.K. Rowling is bigoted. Because she says she's a woman. How could she say that? Well, Warren Smith, when he was challenged about why he still likes the author's work, despite her quote-unquote bigoted opinions, flipped the script on one of his students. And I just want to let that play so that we can acknowledge how wonderful what he did was. Take a listen. Do you still like her work despite her uh, bigoted opinions? So let's get specific, though. Let's define bigoted opinions. What opinions are bigoted? We're going to treat this as a thought experiment. I'm not going to say yeah. what's right or wrong or what way to think. She has had a history of being extremely transphobic, I've heard. You've heard. So what? can you give me an example? Uh, if you look at her Twitter, I think uh, you can see a few things. One of these tweets that she came up with in 2019, she said, Dress however you please. Call yourself whatever you like. Sleep with any consenting adult who will have you... Um, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for starting that, for stating that sex is real. Do you find that transphobic yourself? Uh, I don't really have an opinion on it, but I'm just going with what a lot of other people have said. So let's pause it. Let's not go with what other people are saying. Let's try and learn how to critically think. So let's analyze the tweet ourselves. So that statement, do you see anything problematic? She did try and pin some things on a, spe a specific group of per of people. Where does she where does she do that? Do that? Can you read that? But force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. So when I hear that, I'm interpreting that as meaning, if a woman says that you know, saying that there is a difference between men and female, and then being attacked as transphobic, is that I, transphobic to you? So, to me, no. Stating that sex is real is not transphobic. It's just a fact of life. It exists. So is there anything you disagree with in that tweet? Uh, in that tweet, I can't really see anything that I myself disagree with. Uh, there's an apology tweet. Um, she, let's read that. What did she say there? I haven't read that. 
I respect every trans person's right to live any way that feels authentic and comfortable to them. I'd march with you if you were discriminated against on the basis of being trans. At the same time, my life has been shaped by being female. I do not believe it is hateful to say so. Do you think it's fair that there's a that she's being attacked by a large group of people and people are calling her? Like you said at the beginning of this conversation, you said, given the fact that J.K. Rowling is transphobic, how do you feel about Harry Potter? Now, yeah. retroactively looking at that statement, do you think that that was the best way to phrase? No, I feel like an idiot now. <laughs> it's okay though, but this is why we do this to learn to yeah. learn how to think. In my view, that guy is a hero. That teacher is a hero, and he did that brilliantly, and I'm sure that you agree with that, and there just needs to be more of that. It's not every teacher in America that is insane and trying to upset your children and make them more angry or anything like that. Some of them are trying to get them to use their own logic to recognize that a lot of what they learned has just been propaganda, and I would say harmful propaganda to them. All right, guys, but I did promise you that we would get to this story. Boom, you're dead. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, we have some teachers and some principals that maybe aren't thinking through what they're doing. And I'm sorry to laugh at this story. It's just so ridiculous. But a principal has been put on leave after upsetting uh, the community at large with her active shooter drill, which she performed at an L.A. County school. And allegedly what she did there was she went from door to door and <laughs> put up a fake gun to kids and said, boom, you're dead. So she executed a, a, a finger shooting throughout the hallways. And I bet some kids were a little terrified or a little rather confused at what was happening. It's almost cartoonish. It's so stupid. I, I couldn't help but laugh when I saw the headline. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. And the comments beneath the headline definitely passed the vibe check. They said, leave this woman alone. Allow her to go back to work. Obviously, she's just not that bright. Some person, this person writes, they need to give her a raise. She's like basically playing cowboys and Indians with the kids in a way. It's it's so bizarre. Um, so I'm just, I'm being funny here. Obviously, I understand my parents are upset and I probably would be <laughs> upset as well. But I also have to admit that I am laughing and so is the internet. This woman writes, this should not be funny. Now, why she traumatized them kids like that? Yeah, why did she traumatize them kids like that? And I think... Ultimately, what we can all agree on is that she probably shouldn't be principal if she thought this was a smart idea, but it is harmless. It, it was it was her fingers. So I, I hope that she is able to return to her most prominent post. Here's a news piece, by the way, covering that story, that most important story coming out of L.A. Dismissal time at Washington Elementary in San Gabriel. Children and parents upset by what the school principal did during a lockdown drill. She proceeded to walk around the campus and pretend to shoot people she saw using finger movements and banging on the window. Um, from what I heard, one of the students was told, boom, you're dead. Children as young as four years old. He was really upset. Witness the ordeal, including Jennifer Chavez's first grade son. The one shocking, surprising thing he said as a six-year-old was, I'm just really glad none of my friends died. Now the principal at the school, Dr. Nina Denson, has been put on leave. Was this drill approved by the district? 
No, it wasn't. This type of drill where a scenario was run um, is not approved by the district or part of our uh, district protocol. The superintendent confirmed to KTLA that the drill did happen yesterday. And then staff members say the principal made an announcement that seven children were dead. Oh my God, can you imagine the trauma these children potentially could go through of just thinking, oh my God, my friend was killed or I was shot and told I died um, at this age, the young age that these children are. It was very upsetting. Man, man, Dr. Nina, honestly, what, what were you thinking, Dr. Nina? Be careful with these hands, Dr. Nina. Are you a few years or decades out of school and wondering, what the heck did I even learn and what was the point? You might even be thinking, I don't have the time to learn anything new. If that's you, you're not alone and it's not too late. Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses. Learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses. If you're not sure where to start, check out Ancient Christianity. In this 11-lecture course, you'll study the inspiring stories of Christ and his apostles throughout the first four centuries of Christianity. You'll also learn the arguments of key early Christian apologists who defended the Christian faith in the face of persecution. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. Enroll now in Ancient Christianity to discover the improbable and miraculous story of Christianity. Go to hillsdale.edu slash Candace to enroll. There's no cost and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash Candace to enroll. hillsdale.edu slash Candace. All right, guys, I'm going to get into just a few of your questions because I think we are in overtime here. Pardon a few of your comments. These were just a couple of comments from people regarding the Black Anthem. Pardon, the Black National Anthem is what I should be calling it. Terry Love writes, as an American Black person, I was not asked if I wanted this as an anthem. Neither was I, but it doesn't matter. It's always the radical few that get to decide for the rest of us. Noam Pitlick writes, ever since Colin Kaepernick knelt during the national anthem in 2017, the NFL has become woke and cowed to the BLM and the LBGTQ communities. Yes, and they aren't the only sports. I would say all of the sports have gone woke, even hockey, which I was proud that some of the hockey players were just like, no, we're not, we're not kowtowing to this weird LGBTQ agenda. You see it the most during Pride Month, how many corporations have really cowed to the agenda and are falling over themselves to be more woke. And I think it is just a tremendous act of cowardice because they don't want to be labeled with a certain name, which always makes us scared to have a conversation because you don't you, you don't want to wear the scarlet letter. Oh, I'm a racist or I'm a homophobe or I'm an anti-Semite. But we have to have the courage to call out things that are wrong. And obviously what's been happening to the sports community is wrong. And it, it's also dividing Americans. And that's the worst part is it divides Americans. Terry writes, I am a 62-year-old black retired female veteran and I never knew or heard of the Black National Anthem. Proud to be an American. And there is only one national anthem as far as I am concerned. Semper Fi. All right, guys, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. We will see you tomorrow, and there will be a brand new episode. Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? A heartbeat is a child's only defense in the womb. At five weeks, a heartbeat can be heard on an ultrasound. And that's where Preborn steps in, rescuing 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing a mother with a free ultrasound and allowing her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. I was just kind of like, Lord, if this is, you know, if this is the way 
you know, let me know if this is not the way, give me a sign, you know, before I walk through these doors. And I was, as I was getting ready to walk up the steps and touch the doorknob, you know, a guardian angel, and he just told me, he was like, baby, you don't have to go in there. And he was like, I know someone that can help him. Just to see the development of a baby that small, and I say baby because, I mean, he had little arms and legs, and <laughs> I mean, you know, it was actually a, a human, you know, and to see that and to have that physical and that contact once you look at that, I think it just pulls on your heart a little. <laughs> By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just $28, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. And if you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives that you helped rescue. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Candace. That's preborn.com slash Candace.